Well, we want to take our Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 14. And as we do that, and we've had a great service already. Didn't you enjoy everything that's gone on here? It's kind of tough, tough to follow all that, but I'll do what I can. Uh, John chapter 14, we're in a series of messages on the Christ follower. And uh, this morning, as we turn to John chapter 14, we realize <clears throat> that as you follow Jesus Christ, it is very rewarding. It is challenging at the same time. I mean, you're going to go places you've never been before if you follow Jesus. I know I have. You're going to be accomplishing things that you ever thought possible. However, there are challenges, there are problems in life, period. And, the, and it seems like the more you do for the Lord, sometimes the more opposition you may face. And so what do we need? What do we need above everything else to not only follow Jesus Christ, but also finish the walk and the journey as well. Well, John chapter 14 addresses that issue. And as we look at this passage, we find just picking up the story of Jesus, they're in the upper room, they're having the Last Supper, celebrating the Passover of the Old Testament where uh, they had, um, if you remember that when they went out of Egypt, there were 10 plagues there because Pharaoh would not allow the Israelites to leave. The last plague was the firstborn of everyone in Egypt would die. And, and the way that the Israelites kept their firstborn from dying is to take the blood of an animal and place it upon the door and the death angel would pass over that house. Therefore, after that, a Jewish celebration uh, came about that they celebrated the Passover. And during this time, many lambs and goats and animals were slain and sacrificed. And it was done because they were looking forward to the Messiah coming, that one time on the cross, that one death that he would spill his blood would cause no more animals to have to be sacrificed. That would be the end of all sacrifices. Well, Jesus was in the upper room with his, his, the 12, the disciples, and they were celebrating this Passover. And as they were celebrating, Judas got up and left. And as he left, he went to betray Jesus. Also, we know that Peter would deny him, knowing, even knowing him. And Jesus predicted that. Peter, you're going to deny even knowing me before the cock crows tonight. They were troubled at heart. You know they had to be. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. We can find that kind of phraseology all throughout this passage. In fact, John chapter 14 through 17 is the longest discourse, the longest teaching of anywhere in the Bible of Jesus' teachings. What was he doing? He was preparing them for the challenges ahead. He was preparing them for the troubles and the trials ahead. And as they were walking along, they left the upper room, walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would pray that he wouldn't have to die on the cross. And as they were walking, he began to teach them. They were going over the Kidron Valley where all the sacrifices were being taken and they, the dust was in their feet and in their nostrils. In fact, the stench of death was in their nostrils, reminding themselves of death every step of the way as they walked. And Jesus began to teach them and he told them in this first verse exactly the key to following him. And he said this, believe, all, believe in God, believe also in me. The word believe, believe. Now, what does that really mean to us? We can take on all kinds of definitions of that and then all kinds of application as well. 
What does it mean? What is faith? Why is it important to us? Why do we need that above every other thing in the journey? And then thirdly, how do we apply it just for a few minutes at the end of the message? Well, first of all, I'd like for us to see as we look at this, what is faith? Now, I know the disciples were troubled. Are you troubled today? Maybe there's a mother here and you recall that, that old country spiritual song, will the circle be unbroken in the, in the sky, Lord, by and by. And it's talking about in that song, will my children join me in heaven? Will all the circle be together in heaven? And many of you here today, you would give anything if your children would come to know Jesus Christ and begin to follow him. It's the burden of your heart. There's others here that have been hurt by COVID. Your business is really hurting today. So you're troubled by all that. You're troubled maybe by something about your health, something that, uh, you know, is at school. You're troubled by it. Are you troubled today? And when we're troubled and we're following Christ, the temptation is to stop, to quit, to not as being passionate, as passionate for Jesus Christ. And so we need faith. So what is it? Well, we've defined this several times in the scriptures, but it says here, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now this word believe, pistuo in the Greek language means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of trust. Considering something to be true and worthy of trust. Now, the, the definition I've given many, many times right here, I read it in the Bible, Hebrews 11.1, 1, because it's the only definition of faith in the entire Bible. And that is, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That is the confidence, the assurance of something that's gonna happen in the future, something that you do not have right now. The conviction of things not seen. The conviction, things not seen, you can't see angels, you can't see demonic forces, you can't see Jesus. So it's a conviction of believing and considering those things to be true and therefore worthy of trust. Now in that same chapter of Hebrews, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now when we're looking at faith, a simple way to maybe explain this, simplest terms, is that we all trust in something. Everyone here is trusting in something. So I'm not asking you today, and God's not asking you today, to take on something new that you don't know. All of us trust in some, some, some of us trust in ourselves, some in money, some in your looks, and maybe that's why some of you have trouble with faith, you know, I don't know, you know, barely, barely get there. But you trust in your looks, you, you trust in your family, you trust in something, something is sitting there and the object of your faith. Now, a good illustration of this, of course, is the chair. I don't know how many of you go to restaurants still, you know, with COVID going on, and I think many of you are going back, but you walk into some of these restaurants and they'll ask you the question, would you like a booth or a high top? Now, I wanna ask you something, who would want a high top? I mean, really think about it for just a minute. I mean, there, there you are, I mean, you're in a booth, you're in kind of a comfortable seat, it's usually pretty padded, you got a little privacy. And in a high top, you're sitting there with your legs dangling the whole time. And you got this imprint on the back of you when you get up and, and maybe some numbness there as well. And your feet are just dangling along. I mean, you're looking for something to put your foot on as you're sitting there. 
Well, that's a perfect illustration, however, of faith. In the booth, I'm resting. I've got my feet on the floor. If the booth collapses, I can sort of catch myself. Boy, if that stool that you're sitting on on the high top collapses, you're on the floor. You're putting all of your weight on that stool. Well, that's what trust means. I'm putting all of my trust, all of the weight of my life and my trust in something. In this case, Jesus Christ. A couple of illustrations out of the Bible come, come out of Luke chapter 7. We can find the woman who was, uh, had a vial of perfume, if you remember the story. And this vial of perfume was uh, really a, a vial that could not be opened. It had to be broken to get into the per perfume. But it was a small vial worn around, the, worn around the neck. And there was a place where the aroma would come up through the vial. And so it'd make you smell good. Now, why was that needed? Well, by all accounts, this woman was a prostitute. So she made her living in prostitution and she had to smell good. And you can imagine, I don't want to get too gross here, but, you know, middle schoolers kind of helped me out a little bit. Um, we, you know, back then they, they lived in an arid place with high temperatures and no deodorant and difficult to take a bath. And so that aroma made, made the kind of, I don't know, the, the smells kind of duke it out, you know what I'm saying? And uh, kind of fight over uh, the smell. And she relied upon that. She had to have that in order to go about her business. She came to the feet of Jesus and she broke the vial, poured it over his feet, let down her hair, which is a shame for a Jewish woman, and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, what did she do? She transferred, she was trusting in something, she was trusting in that perfume to help her make a living. Without it, she couldn't make a living. It was very expensive, and so she had to save a lot of money to get it there. So she was really surrendering her whole way of life and beginning to trust then Jesus Christ. Another example in the, in the same chapter was that popular passage about the centurion. He comes up, the leader of a thousand, uh, uh, hundred soldiers, a thousand soldiers in um, a uh, hundred soldiers in the uh, uh, Roman army. And he comes up to Jesus and he said, I've got a servant that's really sick. He's going to die. Would you come and heal him? And the Pharisees who were trusting in themselves said, look, Jesus, you need to do this one. This guy is, is not a typical Roman. He is really supportive of the Jewish people. He's helped us so much. He deserves your attention. He deserves a healing. What were they trusting in? They were trusting in their works. If I can just do it, if, if you're good enough, then you deserve salvation. You deserve God blessing you. The centurion, however, had, would have no part of that. He says, I am not worthy. In fact, I don't even think you're worthy to come to my home, but I'm a man that knows authority. And if I tell one of my men to do something, they're going to do it. And you can do the same thing from here. You can heal my servant from here. And Jesus made the comment, I've never seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. What was the difference? The Pharisees trusting in their works and the centurion, like the woman, was trusting in Jesus Christ. So who's on the throne? Who's there with you? 
Who's there where you're trusting and leaning upon everything in your life? Because that's what faith is all about. Why is it so important? Well, we look in this passage a little further. It says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe also, believe in God, believe also in me. Now the following, that verse plus the following two or three verses is read at so many funerals because it's talking about a heavenly home. In my father's house are many rooms. This father's house, we know it's heaven. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. It already exists. In the original language, it already exists. Now he's preparing for us to go there. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there may be, you may be also. He's a promise here of the afterlife. What is he saying here? In Hebrews chapter six, or chapter 11, verse six, that I read just a few moments ago, very exciting verse. He says that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. He, re he rewards those who seek him. All three of these things are right here in this passage. And, and, the, and the hours before Jesus Christ would die on the cross, he shared with them long before the writer of Hebrews wrote that verse exactly how to have faith and exactly what that means and why it's important. He says, first of all, as you look at it, you need to realize that faith, you need faith to know that God rewards, that he exists, but he is rewarder of those who seek him. And that's so crucial. There you are living the Christian life and you think to yourself, well, wow, you know, I'm under persecution or I've got trials in my life. These prayers aren't answered. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I feel like I'm praying in the will of God and it just doesn't come. And God says, there's a reward. And you believe that in the end, when God's timing is perfect, there's going to be a reward. And the greatest example of this is the afterlife itself. Folks, this is in heaven. We, just like everybody else, just like those who do not follow Christ, will have tribulations and troubles and trials in this life. That's what life is, uh, consists of in a large portion. But he says, this, all these things will come to pass. And he says, you're gonna face adversity and all the things that the disciples would go through. They were about to see Jesus being arrested and tried and crucified. The disciples would be scattered. Judas would be found out. Peter would deny knowing the Lord. And all this time, Jesus says, look, I'm gonna provide a home for you. I'm gonna leave you and I'm not gonna be around. I'm gonna send another comfort of the Holy Spirit to live inside your heart, but I am gonna give you, I'm gonna make my home in your heart, but then I'm gonna give you a home. And that's so important, isn't it? Paul Tournier said this, children who have not had a place to call home have trouble attaching themselves. There's a restlessness about them. I had a friend recently that lost his wife, a pastor friend, lost his wife. He came by to see me. Uh, she'd been gone a few months. He says, yeah, I just got back. I took a little time off and um, I went back and started looking at and visiting all the places where I met my wife and where we grew up and at the high school. And he, he reminisced about all these things. Now, some of you, you know, more sentimental than others. You know, when I go back to my, uh, near my home in Bogart, Georgia, you know, I, I uh, used to bore my kids to death, I guess. I want to drive by the house where I received Christ. 
You know, I want to drive by the old neighborhood. And some of you are very sentimental in that. You visit, you know, the graves of, of loved ones a lot. Of course, some of you might say, you know, I might ask you, well, where, where's your uh, friend buried or your wife buried? And somebody might say, well, don't tell me this. I know this one. I know this one. You know, and, and you're not a sentimental. But here we find what Jesus is saying is simply this. He's saying, we need a home, a place to call home. There's people right now in Oviedo, and you've seen the homes that have these, these great um, apartment complexes or whatever built around them, and their old home is right in the middle of it all. They won't sell. I remember when we bought property at the church where we started in, in Atlanta, we tried to get the people to sell next door to us and said, look, you're going to have to sell to us before we build because that's where we're going to put the buildings and how we're going to decide to do things. And once we do it, that's it. They wouldn't sell for anything. I think we could have offered them three times, four times the money. And I asked them one time, why? Well, okay, you know, one last time, why won't you sell? And I asked them that. I said, this is our home place. This is just home. People long for that. And dear friend, there's a reward in heaven. Now, you may say, well, yeah, but it's just not fair, Pastor. I mean, I'm going through all these troubles, and my, my wife suffered before she died, and my mom had Alzheimer's, and all these things happened to my family, and all these things are happening to me financially. It's just not fair. But God says, God says there's still a reward waiting for us. Now, Peter, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way his savior was crucified. We find that William Tyndale was burned at the stake as a martyr for the Lord 500 years ago. David Brainerd, who was the son-in-law of reformer Jonathan Edwards, went to minister to the Indians and died of a disease at 29 years old. He said, that's just not fair. He said, well, let me, let me just share this with you. Peter has been in heaven for 2000 years. I think he's gotten over it. William Tyndale, suffered for a few moments, been in heaven for 500 years. David Brainer for about 200 years or more. And your loved ones are now in heaven. There is something in the afterlife. Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist of, um, of America in, in times past, said in one of his sermons, he said, you're going to read one day in the newspaper about my obituary. And it's going to read, Dwight, Dwight L. Moody, born such and such a date, died such and such a date. He says, don't you believe it. I won't be dead. I'll be more alive than I've ever been before. Amen? More alive than I've ever been before. And so God is saying, look, you need that type of faith to believe. Romans 8, 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that has been revealed to us. You and I need that faith to get through those trials. Yes, we'll get rewarded some here on earth, but this is not heaven. He will one day reward us in the journey. But then I want you to notice that we need faith to know that God is there. Hebrews eleven six again says, he says, believe that he exists. And here in Romans, or rather John chapter 14, let not your heart be, be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in the existence of God and the fact that he is the ruler over all things. 
First Chronicles 29, 11 says this, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand, power and might. In your hand, it is to make great. It gives strength to all. God is in control of all things. I remember reading something from Chuck Swindoll, and I will look for it, in fact, just a little while ago. And uh, here was a little quote from Chuck Swindoll, the, uh, the pastor from, uh, um, from Dallas. He says, God is in control of the times and the seasons. Sometimes they're hard. Some seasons are dry. Therefore, God is in control of the hard times and the dry seasons. Do we have an amen? So we look, and not only do we reveal to us that we need faith for knowing that God is going to reward you, that he exists, but also to those who seek him. Look in verse 12 of our text. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, that's a great prayer promise, isn't it? He says greater things than you're going to do, and that is greater in scope because we have more opportunity. Greater in scope because the Spirit of God walks with us and lives with us all the time. But he says, as you do that, know that you're going to face opposition. You know, the enemy is just not going to sit around and, and let you do whatever, all these great things for God without some kind of opposition. And you need the faith to know that you can go to God, go to the throne of God, and get answers to prayer. You say, well, yeah, but that's a problem, Pastor. I, I don't always get answers to prayer. In fact, sometimes it's just plain no. I just don't know what, why that's true in my life. I pray and I pray and it just never comes to pass. Well, notice the direction here that God gives us in this access. He says, there's four things that give us access here to God. Whatever you ask, that is, he has the power. He has the power to answer every single one of your prayers. Now, I know that there's some conditions to that, but I want that to sink in for just a moment. He has the power. Whatever you ask in his name, I will do it. That's the kind of access that a follower of Jesus Christ has. You say, yeah, but what about the conditions? Well, he gives a condition here. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Now, in my name, as we look at that phrase, means a couple of things. Uh, first of all, and my name means that you're doing it through me and not through anything else. So let me explain that a little bit. There was a, a note that was written to R.A. Torrey. R.A. Torrey was a preacher around 1900. He was a writer. He's written great books on prayer. And he was talking about preaching a series of meetings when a man handed him a note now, it was handed through someone else, and so he got the note, opened it up, and he said, um, uh, Pastor, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm praying, I'm praying, and I believe that uh, 
I'm doing everything I can. I believe I'm right with God. I go to church, I give, I serve. And I'm, I'm trying to do all the right things. And yet I've asked something I believe to be God's will, but he just won't answer it. What should I do? And it wasn't signed. And so he took the note up to the pulpit and read it. He says, whoever this is in his large crowd, whoever you are, I want you to know that your problem is you're praying in your name. You're like the Pharisees. He didn't say that, but like the Pharisees. I'm trusting in my name. I'm trusting in what I will do. I'm trusting in I'm doing all the right things. You have to pray in the name and the power and through Jesus Christ. But the name means more even than that. And another verse in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it mentions about praying in the will of God. It doesn't mention that here. It mentions it there. And so what does that mean that one group has the right kind of praying and what you need to do and another group doesn't? No, this my name means in the will of God, something that Jesus could sign off on. Something that some of you are supervisors and something comes before you and you're looking at it, you're reading it and you have to sign off on it. And what you're doing, you're approving that. That's exactly what you want to happen. That's exactly what you talked about with the subordinate that works for you. He's delivered something for you. He's signed it. Now you're signing off on it so it can get done. It's something that Jesus can sign off on and therefore it's his will. Now you say, well, I'm still frustrated. Well, Jesus, and I'll show you in just a minute, was also frustrated. Did you know he had God, to say, the Father, to say no to him when he prayed? And therefore brings me to the fact of a motive. James says you don't have because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Well, what is that purpose? Well, that's the third thing. What is that motive? What is that purpose? That um, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified. And so the purpose behind all of our prayers is not just to get something, but rather to get something in a sense that it glorifies God. It brings glory and honor to him. Anything done in the wrong purpose is just not gonna work out. You know, God can answer your prayers and it'd be the wrong purpose for you, get you, get you off the path in following him in some way. And I know what we do. We, we sort of rationalize things. Oh, it really won't get me off. I think, I think God must be all over this one just because you want it. You want it. So God must be in it. But anything done outside the purpose. I was watching this little uh, sitcom not too long ago. I think it was a rerun. And this guy was, had an invention. And the invention was... A, a radiator grill. And what he planned to do in this uh, invention, you put your steaks and your burgers on your motor. As you're riding down the road, they cook. I've had a few, maybe burgers at restaurants at Tate. No, I won't go into that. But what's going to, well, if he can make it to the hospital, he won't die. You know, it's very toxic, much less not tasting very well because the radiator is not meant to cook burgers done for the wrong reason. Well, we look at this and we find the foundation to it all. It says this, be glorified in the Son, the Son of God, the very foundation. Jesus did know 
what it was like to feel pain. He took the nail prints in his hand, took the nails and the spikes in his hands and feet. He knew what it was like to feel rejection, betrayal. But hey, he knew what it was like for God the Father to say no. He was in the garden. And he knelt before the Lord. He asked three of his disciples to stay and pray. And he walks forward. He gets down on his knees. And the Bible says it was like great, he's sweating so much and so much agony that it would seem like blood was coming through his pores. He said, oh, Lord, Father in heaven, if this cup of wrath could be taken from me. He was praying, God, if I don't have to die on the cross, if there's any other way to have mankind saved, God, would you take the cup from me? Three times he prayed that and God said no. And he died on the cross. But if God had not said no to that prayer, then we would not have a prayer. We would not be able to be saved. We would not be able to be a follower of Christ. We would not be able to have the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. in our life. We would not be able to have the abundant life. We would not be able to go to heaven if God had not said no to that prayer. We pray in the Son, knowing that he's gone through many of the things that we've gone through. Kind of reminds me of maybe a little boy, five, six years old. We had some dedications here this morning and in the first service and um, kind of, you know, they get these action figures and sometimes things fall apart. And I'm not saying they fall up, they actually, you know, twist their heads off and arms and things like that. So here's a six-year-old boy. He's missing, his action figure is missing his head and he begins to cry. And the parent says, look, you know, we'll try to find the head. What about putting Barbie's head on it, you know, or something like that? And all these things. And finally, the parent gets so frustrated, they look at the child and say, look, I'll give you a million dollars if you'll stop crying. And maybe it's in the power of the parent to do that. Is the, is the child going to stop crying? No, because they have no idea what a million dollars is and what that represents. We sometimes cry before the Lord. We sometimes are so disappointed with life And it's like our action figure has torn up and God says, I've got so many more things available to you. So many things that you cannot see, that you don't understand. And we just keep crying because we don't understand it. But in the son, as you fellowship with him and grow grow that faith, then you do understand it. So how do you get it? I'm going to get real quick, quick about this one. How do you get it? Revelation. The Bible says in Romans 1 that you already have faith. He says, for what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Every child believes you're born into this world. All these children are going to grow up five, six, seven, eight years old. They're going to have, all of them going to have faith in God. Now, they're not going to be able to explain that, who God is, but they have a faith that there's some higher being. What do you do with that faith? You can either grow it, receive it, Grow it as you obey the Lord or it goes away. Much like the parable of the soils of the sower explains in the Bible how the seed of the word of God is taken away when we don't believe. And so what do we do? We, first of all, cultivate 
the faith that we already have. How do we do that? Through relationship, by spending time with God. How do you do that? Well, by the word of God. We've talked about, so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ without reading the word of God, without hearing the word of God preached. Your faith is simply not gonna get cultivated. It's not gonna grow. We've talked about obeying the word of God. Look in uh, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what is the work of of faith. It's the work of faith is to obey whatever God is convicting us to do. And so we obey. We pray. We have that relationship with him. We go to church. Yeah, iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. Many of you are just unprepared. Many of us in the United States are unprepared to meet the battles of life because we're trying to do it alone, a solo job. God never meant that to happen. There's somebody here going through what you've been through and you need to help them. There's somebody else going through what you're going through right now and they've already been through it. They can help you. You can be inspired by others, counseled by others. God has made us for community. You know, it, it's like this. So suppose, and you may be saying, look, I'm doing the best I can, Pastor. I'm here at church, I'm doing the best I can to listen, and uh, you know, I'm doing the best I can to, you know, when I step up to the plate, I try to do the right thing. Well, what if I were to tell you, or come up one Sunday, and say, you know, I'm doing the best I can preaching. I did the very best I could. I did everything, I yelled in the right spots, you know, and everything, you know? And, and you say, yeah, but pastor, the sermon just didn't make any sense. Where are you going with all that stuff? I couldn't follow it at all, but I did the best I could. Well, let me ask you something, Pastor. Did you, did you study this past week? Well, no, I didn't crack a book. I didn't study at all, but, I, but I'm trying today, but I'm not prepared. An athlete must prepare to win. A musician must prepare to do well. Preparation is the key to it all. And here we are fighting the battles, we're in the trenches of fighting the battles and we lose because we're not prepared for the battle. And Jesus was saying on the road to the Garden of Gethsemane, on that Kidron Valley road, that path, he was saying, I'm getting you prepared because you're discouraged, because you're, you're confused, because you're troubled. And so you're troubled here today preparation of that revelation from God, responding to God. That's the third R, just responding. How do you do that? You do something with what you do have right now. You work out what, what God's worked in. And that is you do minister. You help others. You serve other people. And so where are we today? Faith is always a response to the revealed will of God. Charles Stanley has often said, and you make up our, we make up our minds in advance on what we need to do. But the Bible tells us that we need to be ready for the battle. How do we do that? The one ingredient that we need above everything else is faith. Now, what about you today? You know, it all begins at one point. And really, it's, it's sort of like a foundational thing where this is what you do for the rest of the Christian life. How you come into the Christian life is how you end up in the Christian life. 
You trust God. You trust him at his word. Here's what he says in John chapter 14. I skipped a few verses. Let me go back and read a couple of them. And you know the way to where I'm going, Jesus said. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said, if there's any, any way that anyone could ever be saved and we can make that the way, I don't want to die on the cross. But there was no other way, no other door. And do we think God would be so barbaric to say, okay, I'm going to send Jesus Christ, my son, to die on the cross to be one of the ways to heaven? I mean, after all, I don't have anything else to do, even though there are many ways to heaven. No, if we're going to get there, if we're going to have the bliss of what God wants us to have, that reward, we must get in at the cross. And as we get in there, what we're doing is surrendering. We're saying, I'm, I'm no longer trusting in me to save me. I'm putting my full weight on Christ. And then after that, you have a trial in life. What do you do? You put your full weight and trust on Christ. The next day, your full weight and trust on Christ. Where you come in is exactly how you live for the rest of your life. How you receive is how you follow. Now, what about you today? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I just want to ask you as a Christian, could you pray to God right now? God, I just want to be prepared. I want to rejoice that I can be prepared. I can be prepared for the battle. And not only that, I don't have to be live in discouragement. I can live in victory. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help me to be determined to be prepared. And then others that maybe never received Jesus into your heart, whether you're watching at home and on television or right here in this auditorium, where you get in is so vitally important and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It only comes through forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that's what you want to do today, receive Christ into your heart. I would encourage you, urge you to make that decision today by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Lord, I want to place all of my trust in you. I'm getting out of the saving business. And I'm putting all my weight on you to save me, trusting you totally to come into my life and heart and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.